The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual organisation or entity. Good evening, Roger. Good evening, Adam. How are you? I seem to be doing okay, although the parkrun wasn't great today. I got 20.10, although I know my actual time that I've recorded is 20.14, which is actually 15 seconds slower than a couple of weeks back at Arton Park, so I was a bit disappointed about that. I have changed my training slightly, so that's possibly why I didn't do as well. I'm amazed you're doing as well as you are in this freezing <laughs> weather. And me and you were just talking, and you were saying you were down in Bradford earlier this morning. Palm Park's not actually that far from the city centre. You could have actually said hello. <laughs> Perhaps, but I was giving my car a service, yeah. and the garage said they could call any minute for me to get it, so I had to stay nearby. Fair enough. It has been a very busy day for me too. I feel a lot more happy and relaxed this week because it's the start of my half-term holidays, so... I put the car in for its service this morning and this afternoon I took my daughters to see the Sutty Show, which is as good as ever. And now I get to spend my evening chatting with you about the news yes. for an hour or so. And I bet you're glad you've got a week off, haven't you? Because it's been a long one. I get two weeks. Two weeks is even better than one. Yes, because school that I work at, we only get five weeks in summer, so I get two weeks now. That extra week is really good because it means we get a week off when all the other schools are broken up, so we can go to places when they're a bit quieter. Yeah, because obviously it's a lot better if you can go to places when it's a bit quieter. It's not all as much rush, and I'm guessing some people use it to take cheap holidays as well. But obviously, I know a lot of people take holidays in normal term time anyway, but the annoying thing is, though, you probably don't get to spend it as much with your family the second week, do you? No, because my wife and kids are at their schools. My wife works in a school as well. We don't work at the same one. But... So you get to wait to yourself, practically, then? Well, my oldest daughter is off that second week as well so it's a daddy daughter week okay but she's at an age now where she's quite good at occupying herself yeah to be honest if i just told her she could lie in a bed and have as much time on her mobile phone as she wanted she'd be delighted yeah (laughs) so i have to take her to interesting places to get her out the house Fair enough, yeah. Too much screen time is not good, although saying that I have a lot of screen time, but I do have for runs. Well, we've been stuck in these last 24 hours or so. Today's not been so bad, but we did have that passing storm, which has been a bit gnarly, and a few people have died in it. But we thought it was only a storm. These things happen, and it's not like it's going to be the end of the world, and there is more important things to discuss. I know it's a tragedy that people have died, but there is news out there, isn't there? yeah. Unfortunately, this week, I feel we can be a little bit more relaxed and cheerful about the news. And we got a good mix of news to discuss with all of you for the next hour on this, the 21st of October, 2023. So before Adam and I do start talking about it, I just want to, as always, remind our listeners that they can email us and be part of the show at breakthenewspod at gmail.com. Certainly, and I believe we're still waiting for our first email. Not sure if any of us have checked, but you have got the biggest news story of the week, and this has been rolling on throughout the week. Attacks were an awful attack on a hospital, which was actually very tragic. Hopefully this conflict eases, but obviously the longer it goes on far, the less news coverage it's going to get. So I didn't actually choose this one, but you've got the latest on here, haven't you? I have, yeah, because it is still by far the biggest news story and likely to be for quite some time. 
especially now everyone seems to have forgotten about Ukraine. Coronavirus has also been forgotten about. In fact, the coronavirus tab has gone off the BBC website, I noticed today. Has it? Yeah, that's been on there for about four years, so that's intriguing. But- yes, it is probably because the articles about coronavirus, they're getting fewer and further between and probably not an awful lot of people are reading about them now. We'll have to wait to see if the Ukraine tab disappears because I'm sure that does still roll on, but we don't hear much about it. But the main news is about Israel-Palestine and there has been news on that conflict. So I'm just going for the BBC news website live summary. What are the main headlines about this right now at quarter past seven? Well, I checked it five minutes ago while we were talking and it hadn't changed from this. So trucks carrying aid and one loaded with coffins, grim, have entered Gaza for the first time since the Israel-Hamas war erupted. The BBC counted 20 vehicles with white flags moving through the Rafah crossing into Gaza from Egypt. The UN called it a drop in the ocean of the aid that is needed. Yesterday, Hamas released its first hostages since its major surprise attack on Israel two weeks ago. Mother and daughter Judith and Natalie Renan were among 200 people abducted. Natalie's half-brother has told the BBC of his overwhelming joy at their release. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel is trying to free more hostages, though his forces will also fight till victory. Israel continues to bombard Gaza. It's two weeks since Hamas launched its assault on Israel, killing more than 1,400 people. Palestinian officials say more than 4,000 people have died in Gaza since then, so they've got them back good. The leaders of Arab and European countries are meeting in Egypt to discuss the crisis, but expectations are low because key players like Iran and Israel itself aren't attending. What do you think, Adam? Well, I think it needs to calm down, but I don't think it's going to because I don't think the two sides like each other at all, do they? Definitely not, and I doubt they ever will in our lifetimes. It's mixed messages, really, because Hamas are releasing hostages, which is a tactical move for them because they want to give the Western countries whose hostages it's releasing less of a reason to send Israel aid. So that's quite a smart move on their part. And aid finally is getting into Gaza. Goodness knows they need it. But at the same time, Israel are poised to launch a ground assault on the city. So it's only a matter of time before it gets worse. Yeah, but they've been threatening that ground assault for a week now. And I don't think really a lot's been happening other than several bombings which have just been going off. I think it would be dangerous to believe that they're bluffing though. Yeah, that's true, yeah, because obviously yeah, they might want to make sure that civilians are out first. I think they're trying to get this Egypt corridor open, which I don't think is going to happen because the Egypt Prime Minister or President doesn't want all the civilians to go into their country for understandable reasons. So that's the reason why that corridor is only being used for aid at the moment. Israel know that if they attack people who are giving aid to Gaza are injured or killed, that's going to look really bad for them and they're going to lose a lot of sympathy. They already are starting to lose sympathy with Hamas releasing the hostages and the fact that their payback is now very, very sufficient. Yeah, and because Israel are like one country and most of the Middle East is against Israel, they have to rely very heavily on the western support and that's what they're trying really hard not to lose it's time for peace but 
some of our leaders, including our own, seem hell-bent on sending Israel lots and lots of aid and stoking the flames of the war and saying things like, you know, oh, we support Israel and Hamas needs to be wiped out. And that just causes further division and tension, I think. Yeah, because I think there were large protests again in London today. I saw on GB News and on the BBC. There were estimated to be around 100,000 to 150,000 protesters in London. And there were a bit of violence. Me and Roger spoke too soon that there wasn't. But there were a few clashes between police. However, most of the protesters were peaceful. But there were a few that did cause some trouble with the police and hopefully most of them continue to remain calm. And I wouldn't join any of the protests because I don't want to be seen to take any kind of sides and people assume quite a lot about each other when they're at protests. And I think both sides are appalling. But I do sympathise more and more with the protesters now who want peace and want this to be over. Yeah, but most of the protests are one-sided. Most of them are supporting Palestine, although there were one outside the BBC a few days ago which were protesting about how the BBC were covering it because obviously they were calling Hamas uh, militants rather than terrorists, which I think we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, I think I got quite passionate about that last week, I believe. (laughs) Because, yeah, there's more important aspects to this war than the BBC's choice of terminology. And I still stand by that. Even when Israel defended itself after that attack on that hospital, which it seems like Israel didn't actually do, their spokesperson used terrorists to describe the other side, but BBC still changed the words terrorists to militants. Because the BBC avoid calling any organisation terrorists because they believe that's a subjective term. But then they've faced hypocrisy because I think they called one of the terrorist attacks in one of the other countries, I can't remember which one, an actual terrorist attack. So they have called terrorist attacks in European countries terrorists. I'll have to look into that and spot that because as far as I'd researched, I don't think they ever had. When I listened to the BBC Radio Force feedback programme, that was the stance that they had anyway. And I remember when it was the Ariana Grande concert, I used to watch BBC News at the time and they were always calling that a terrorist attack. That's something that you have to look back on and check because there's a bit of a what they call the Mandela effect about these things, where the way people remember stuff isn't actually as it is. If you look back in BBC News reporting, I've not found instances where they've out and out said these are terrorists. They might have been referencing to people have been condemning it, etc. might they? So yeah. there's a bit of a difference there. But yeah, I think quite often they called it the Manchester Arena bombing, so that might have been what they used instead. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect, Adam? No. It comes from the idea where... When Nelson Mandela died, a lot of people said, oh, I'm sure he already died five years ago. It's like a memory that everyone seems to have but isn't actually true. So, for example, the classic one is in Star Wars when Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. And everyone remembers that scene. But actually, that scene never happened. He doesn't say, Luke, I'm your father. He says, no, I am your father. Uh, But everyone misremembers it. And sometimes with news reporting, it can be a bit like that. You know, everyone 
just yeah. remembers it incorrectly. But there were actually cases where they have faced hypocrisy. But like I say, when news is fresh, journalists probably just go by their instincts and then forget that they're supposed to be calling it something else. So maybe journalists do make mistakes as well. I'm, I'm sure there are individual BBC journalists who've used the T word, but officially, you know, and, and as an organisation, the BBC don't do it. I just want to add, because you mentioned it, I gave up trying to follow that hospital bombing situation in terms of actually who did it. Did we ever find out who really did it? Well, the US intelligence seems to think that Hamas did it, but it sounds like it was what Israel had said was correct and that it had fallen short and landed on the hospital. Goodness. It's a horrible thing to happen anyway. Yeah. But that's what both Israel and the US intelligence seems to have found. So it does appear that that's correct. Obviously, the Prime Minister said that we're still waiting on evidence, but Nigel Farage immediately called that out because he mentioned that he's only saying that because if he said it were Hamas that did it, there'd be riots in this country. I'm starting to become more hopeful that cool heads will continue to prevail in this country. It's been a couple of weeks now and we've had protests and some very strong protests, but we haven't had riots. People have generally been safe. So I really hope it stays that way. Well, fingers crossed, yeah. And like I said, yeah, it seems to be staying calm and... I think the longer it goes on the farm and the more people get used to it, the less likely something dramatic is going to happen in these protests. I hope that this time next week, this conflict is back on the path to peace. Yeah, or just getting diluted in the news agenda. If it gets diluted, then people are less likely to take to the streets and protest and talk about it, although it might still get mentioned in other countries' media. And then we'll probably start talking about Russia and Ukraine again. Oh, we might talk about other stuff. Like, for example, we've actually started talking more about other stuff this past week. For example, there were some by-elections. Before you go into that, Adam, can I just share something that you said to me earlier this week, where you said that there always seems to be some sort of war or horrible event going on at the moment. Mm. But we had COVID, the Russia-Ukraine war. Now we've got this Israel-Hamas war. And I shared with you content from the story 1984 by George Orwell, where the UK is run by a dictator called Big Brother. And one of the ways that they keep people obedient and scared is they're always at war. And the people they're at war with changes all the time. And whether they're winning or losing the war changes all of the time as well. And there might not even be a war. It might be completely made up by the government, but they well, use I, it to keep I, people in control. I don't believe things like that because we do have elections and I've seen that the elections are counted properly. So it's whoever gets into power in this country and we are a proper democracy. I've seen it firsthand when I've been a candidate. So I can assure you that that is... Not true if you get what I mean. Oh, I don't believe that elections are rigged. And I don't believe that wars are made up either. But what I do believe is that government use the media and the news cycle to control people and to keep us obedient and to Mm. make us mistrust each other and get angry with each other as well sometimes. Well, possibly. People can always stir things up online and stir things up in the media. That is always a possibility, yeah. 
if you're grumbling about how much you hate the Jews, you might grumble a little bit less about how much you hate Rishi Sunak. Yes, so the Conservatives suffered two major by-election defeats, losing in Mid-Bedfordshire and Tamworth. In Mid-Bedfordshire, Labour made history by overturning a 24,664 Tory majority to win the seat for the first time. While in Tamworth, there was a 23.9% swing to Labour from the Tories. Labour leader Sakia Starmer celebrated these victories, saying they are redrawing the political map and called it a game-changer. However, he also emphasised the need to continue earning every vote. Tory party chairman Greg Hans acknowledged the disappointment of the results and cited Conservative voters staying home as a significant issue. He recognised that some voters are unhappy with the government and stated the party's intention to win them back. These by-election results have provided a boost to Labour, particularly as the Conservative Party was already trailing in national polls. Both constituencies have traditionally been Conservative strongholds, making these wins significant for Labour. In Mid-Bedfordshire, the Tory majority was the largest the party had lost in a by-election since 1945, with Labour's Alistair Strephon securing a 20.5% swing to win by 1,192 votes. In Tamworth, Labour's Sarah Everard overturned a Conservative majority of over 19,600 with a swing of 23.9%, making the second highest swing achieved by Labour in a by-election since 1945. The by-elections were triggered by the resignations of the previous MPs, and there was local anger about the circumstances surrounding their departures. The results reflect some voters' frustration with the situation and their choice to vote for other parties. The Lib Dems, despite finishing in third place in Mid-Bedfordshire, claimed they played a crucial role in defeating the Conservatives and nearly doubled their share of the vote. They emphasised their intention to contest every seat in the next general election. The right-wing Reform UK party also gained some votes in these by-elections, and this marks the fourth by-election loss for the Tories in just three months. These results suggest a change in political landscape and potential challenges for the Conservative Party in upcoming elections. Now, are the BBC actually allowed to call a party right-wing? Because that's actually telling you whether they're good, bad. I don't know. Right-wing doesn't mean good or bad as far as I'm concerned. Because, like, if they called a party left-wing... I'd have to look into the etymology of the terms left-wing and right-wing and what the connotations are. I used to actually know that, but I've forgotten since. That yeah, is have called the Lib Dems left-wing and also... What I find I about they're... this article, they're called Tamworth a stronghold. Well, it's been Labour quite a few times, so this article seems to be very biased. I don't think that the Lib Dems are particularly left-wing. I always assumed they were centrist. Well, centre-left, yeah. Uh-huh. 
And as for the choice of language there, yeah, that is a bit subjective to describe it as a stronghold. So, yeah, the BBC have wavered a little bit there. Yeah, because obviously I have been looking at these results. And mid-Bedfordshire, yeah, that is mostly a stronghold. But in Tamworth, I wouldn't really call this a stronghold. Yes, maybe it's done well recently for the Conservatives, because look, Conservatives 2019. But in 2005, it was Labour that was in power. And look, Labour had been in power quite a bit there. So yeah, since that seat was farmed, it started off as a Labour seat and then it moved to a Conservative one. And obviously when the boundaries were different, it was Conservative a lot more than Labour. But I wouldn't necessarily call that a stronghold. Maybe a Conservative leaning seat would be better. We can complain all we like about the language that the BBC chooses to use, though, Adam. There's no denying that this is a spanking for the Conservatives, though. Yeah, I agree. It was bad. But like I said, the majority at Tamworth wasn't as good as the majority in the 1997 general election. So I don't necessarily think that is on track for a Tony Blair style victory because like I say he's not as head as that and he may have been further ahead in mid-Bedfordshire but you've got to also take into account that these are by-elections. These by-elections have been triggered one because of Chris Pitcher in Tamworth and one because of Nadine Dorries in mid-Bedfordshire. So, because people are unhappy about the former MPs, there's always going to be an additional protest for for those reasons as well. The turnout was very low. People use by-elections to protest against the stuff that the government's doing as well. So when you get a general election and people are actually voting for the actual political party, not just threatening to vote like in by-elections and local elections, you will actually find that there will be a lot more Conservatives' votes. And because these were quite close, these seats probably will go back to the Conservatives at a general election. So I don't think he is on track for a Tony Blair-style majority. But yeah, he probably is on track for a majority, but not a Tony Blair-style one. I'm going to hold you to that on the re-election prediction (laughs) there, Adam. But... I agree with you that these votes would have been protest votes very strongly, but it gives the Conservatives an idea of what the worst-case scenario could be in an upcoming election. You know, the kind of seats that they could stand to lose if they don't start improving things and sending out a positive message very quickly. You said about Sakia hoping for a Tony Blair-style victory there, and you shared me an article this week where he'd already started making noises comparing himself to Tony Blair. Whether it will be that much of a landslide, I don't know yet. And you've got to also remember that in Tamworth, if you add up the right-wing votes versus the left-wing votes, there's actually more right-wing votes than left-wing votes. So once some of these other parties are not standing at a general election, a lot of these votes will actually go to the Conservatives and not Labour. So that's another reason why the Conservatives might actually do better than expected. I still believe that nothing short of a miracle, Keir Starmer is going to be our next Prime Minister. (laughs) Yeah, probably will be the next Prime Minister, but do you think he'll get a 1997 landslide? Hmm... <laughs> I wouldn't bet on it, but it wouldn't surprise me either. So you wouldn't go to the bookies, sure, no. because obviously you've seen evidence that suggests otherwise. No. No. I was too young in 1997 to get a real feel for 
the political climate at the time. But I do know that when Tony Blair came to power, it was a sign of huge optimism. People were really celebrating and happy about it. My history teacher, Mr. Rigby, burst into the classroom and said, this is a day of history, the start of a golden age. I think he was a bit of a lefty, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a big Labour fan by um, the sounds of it. I certainly won't be charging into any classrooms <laughs> to announce when Kia Starmer wins, and nor do I think it'll be the start of a great golden age. Things can only get better from this point. Oh, Surely. <laughs> do you think Keir Starmer will make it any better or from the stuff that you've actually seen that is announced? Do you think he'll actually make things even worse? All I can do is hope because I don't want to do many more podcasts like last week's where it's just all doom. Yes, um, we'll just have to see where that goes. But I am going to admit this. I thought Conservatives would actually win on these by-elections. So I will like to admit that I actually got that wrong. I thought there'd be a lot more shy Conservative voters. But as you can see, I'm clearly biased, thinking that Conservatives would win these, and they didn't. At least you know and identify that bias. Yeah. You know, everyone's allowed to be wrong. It's like when I was standing in Queensbury, I thought I was going to win that election. So, yeah, I'm clearly putting too much bias into these. And I remember when I campaigned in Batley and Spen, I also thought that the Conservatives Conservatives were going to win that as well. So there's lots that I've predicted that the Conservatives will win and they don't win. This is very hypocritical coming from me, but I think you're really harsh on yourself when you're wrong, Adam. But like I said, I'm just admitting and (laughs) realising... That actually seems to be underestimating the support for the other side, but I'm guessing that's just because I hate the other side. I tend to find when I'm making political and news predictions, you know, I'm right about half the time, it's the same as chance. (laughs) So it's just fun to have a go. At the end of the day, we can't control or change anything, really. No. But what's interesting about this, I think I may have shared a piece with you this week. From Wednesday, the Prime Minister has been in office for a whole year and they can start submitting no-confidence letters to him. Now, do you think that he's going to get enough no-confidence letters for them to have a no-confidence vote? Or do you think there won't be enough no-confidence letters and there'll be no no no-confidence vote? It might take a bit of time, a few weeks for them to come in, but do you think there's going to be a no-confidence vote coming? I don't think so, because they'd look like even bigger fools having elected him into office only a year ago. I think they'll just wait for the election now. Yeah, probably, but they might try and gamble, because... If the MPs know they're going to lose the seats, that's 80-odd thousand a year that they'll be losing if they don't get elected. So they might want another Prime Minister just to see what happens because they know Rich is probably not going to stand the chance because most of the public don't like him. But if they get another Prime Minister that the public do like, they've got more chance. We might see some MPs swap sides. Yes, so we might actually see some no-confidence letters going, although... They might not release them, but probably will be some going in. But it's whether the threshold's reached for a no-confidence vote, which probably won't happen, but there is a possibility that it is happening. And I know the European Research Group, the Conservatives, do have a meeting on Tuesday night to discuss things. So that's a private meeting, but no doubt they'll be talking about how badly things are going and they might try to get Richie Sunak out. But I think Sunak and his 
economic knowledge are probably the best hope the Conservative Party have got. Yeah, but the economy will sort itself out anyway. Inflation will come down, and inflation's mostly caused by the global factors anyway. But Rishi will be keen for everyone to have the impression that has come from him. That's true, but do a lot of people really trust Rishi Sunak? He's already got a history in Chancellor, etc., and people may not exactly trust him because of what they've seen him do with Boris, for example. So they might want a fresh new Conservative Party leader that has a more trust with the public. I know, I don't trust him. Do you know, even Sutty was making jokes about politicians having parties today. <laughs> but if a new Conservative leader came into power, would you be any more likely to vote Conservative or would you be still the same? They shut the schools after reopening them for just one day, Adam. (laughs) That on its own is enough for me to not vote for any of this generation of Conservatives again. I'm having trouble saying the word Conservatives tonight. (laughs) I didn't even notice, but yeah, I can understand it. So do you reckon you'll never ever vote Conservative in your lifetime again, or do you or will it depend what Labour do when they get into power? I am never willing to close myself off to the possibility of voting for another party, because mm-hmm. I've said here on the record that if they impress me enough, I'd be willing to forgive Lib Dems and vote for them again. Yeah, so, and... I I can't see myself voting Conservative for a long, long time, but if they become the best option then in the future, then I'll go for it. But it's like Nigel Farage says that people are voting for the party that is least worst rather than the actual best, aren't they? Oh, yeah, he's right. I'm still getting over the guilt and trying to understand why I voted for David Cameron back in the day. Yeah, and you've got to question why these turnouts are actually so low at these by-elections. Like Tamworth, they only got 35.9% of people turning out. Is that because people just are not happy with any of the parties? Is it because it's only a by-election or a combination of both? Yeah, it is a combination of both. And the fact that an increasing number of people believe that our politicians aren't actually the ones in charge. Our country is owned by groups of rich businessmen and characters like the World Economic Forum. Yeah, well, that's true. And obviously, yeah, and it seems to be owned by the protesters and lawyers as well, doesn't it? The rich ones, yeah. Anyway, we've had a massive talk on politics this evening and I'm sure we have a lot more other stuff to talk about. Well, twice we've mentioned inflation data, but you've not done it, if you want to. Well, yeah, I wanted to do inflation. So in the UK... Food prices experienced their first monthly drop in two years, while fuel prices saw a sharp increase, according to official figures. This occurred alongside the country's overall inflation rate holding steady at 6.7%, ending a streak of three consecutive monthly declines. Milk, cheese and egg prices all decreased, relieving some of the financial strain on supermarket shoppers, petrol prices rose by 5.1p per litre. These latest inflation figures indicate that the battle against rising prices is far from over and there remains uncertainty about whether interest rates will continue to rise. Analysts had anticipated a slight decrease in the overall inflation rate 
and the Office for National Statistics acknowledged that there might be some disappointment about the unchanged figure. Nevertheless, the chief economist, Grant Fritzner, noted that several European countries had experienced periods of stability or even increases in inflation rates before they started to decline. Richard Sunak emphasised that reducing inflation to around 5.3% by the end of the year remained his top priority. UK interest rates were maintained at 5.25% the previous month after a series of rate hikes aimed at curbing inflation. While most economists expect rates to remain unchanged in the next month, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey has acknowledged that further decisions may be challenging. The resurgence of oil prices due to the events in Israel and Gaza serves as a reminder of the volatility and complexity of inflation. Recent data also revealed that wages outpaced inflation for the first time in nearly two years between June and August. However, many households still face financial pressure due to the high cost of living and charities have warned of the potential worsening conditions in the upcoming winter. September inflation figure is crucial for those claiming benefits as some like disability benefits must increase by law in line with this figure from April. Other benefits such as universal credit usually increase in line with this rate but this decision lies with the discretion of ministers. What did you actually make of these so inflation held steady this month at 6.7 percent obviously month on month it rose by 0.5 percent but yeah 6.7 percent held steady hooray it's not getting any worse (laughs) (laughs) it's it's been going down now it seems to be not less mostly down to the oil price rising and like i say that's been going on for a few months of the oil price rising but do you see this coming down very fast this inflation figure i think it will go down but it won't go down as fast as rish is hoping it'll go down just about fast enough for him to declare himself a winner for him to declare whatever target he's yeah, putting to be a that, success. He's got a target to reach half of inflation by the end of the year. Well, he didn't get anywhere in that target this month because it's still the same. But he's a very good book cooker, is Rishi, and he knows how to manipulate the figures and move things around or get a load of migrants in to increase GDP. So he'll be able to claim that inflation has drop to what he wants it to be i think we'll be able to survive until christmas (laughs) i don't think it's going to be too bad but then the winter with energy prices is going to be a concerning one with fuel prices rising energy prices might rise too yeah i don't see how richard sunak can manipulate this figure because the inflation figure is printed by the ons so he's got to say the actual inflation figure as why it is. And there's not much time for him to change policy now to actually change the inflation figure by the end of the year. I can't wait to see him come out and tell us how he managed to succeed in stopping the boats because he's not going to do that either. 
No, but it says that he's reducing the boat, so that's manipulating mm-hmm. it, I guess. And mm-hmm. I guess rather than saying he's halved inflation, he'll say that he's reduced inflation. <laughs> well, I do just want to say what a terrific job Rishi did of stopping the boats yesterday. Congratulations, Rishi. Well, what a great day. <laughs> What happened yesterday? Well, no migrant boats came yesterday. Well, none have come for a few days, that's true. <laughs> I'm joking, because yesterday was, of course, that colossal storm. That's, that's true, why there were yeah. no migrant boats. Yes, and I don't think there have <laughs> you look, Adam's Adam four days has been zero <laughs> migrants. <laughs> Adam's got the figures up there, of course. And that is all <laughs> thanks to Rishi, I'm sure. I think that's down to the weather, to be perfectly honest. Exactly. Absolutely. Because, like, on the 16th of October 2023, when the sea were calmer, six boats came in one day, dropping 185 migrants on the shore. So it doesn't seem that Rishi's been very effective at all. It seems that the weather's having the biggest impact. And it's like you said before, Adam, inflation and the economy, it's going to do what it's going to do. I don't think Rishi is going to make the slightest bit of difference. And the boats, it's all going to depend on what the weather's like. So, just like we say, he's just shouting in the wind, really, isn't he? Hoping for things to go in the right direction. Yeah. Which, luckily, has been quite lucky in inflation falling and boats falling. Countries like Egypt are making sympathetic noises about the war. <laughs> are you impressed with how it's going? Not really, no. It's like, a... obviously, the boats were really, really high last year, so they probably expected that to come down. And because inflation was really, really high, probably also expected that to come down. I think he would have been a lot stronger if he hadn't have been scared by what happened to his predecessor, Liz Truss. But at the same time, I don't think Rishi actually cares about the country. I think he sees this country as a business, an economic zone, a resource that can be used. And I think shortly after his tenure as Prime Minister, he'll probably spend most of his life living a different country that he prefers. Would you say this country is a business or not? At the moment, I think a lot of people view it that way. And to me, it's definitely not because I look back at history and culture and what Britain has brought to the world and some of the misery Britain has inflicted on the world as well. You know, Britain is just a wonderful, rich culture. You know, we ruled most of the world for a very long time. There should still be some honour to be had in that. Yeah, and if we're okay to move on, you've got a few articles to Oh well. Yeah, Yeah, thinking about the future of this country, lying in the hands of our young people, how are they coping? Well, this is something that I have a lot to say about because this is my business, of course. But at a school in Lincolnshire, according to the BBC, strict disciplinary measures are damaging children's mental health and their education. Really? According to some parents. A campaign group has been set up to voice their concerns about the use of isolations and suspensions at King Edward VI Academy, Kevy, in Spilsby. And by campaign group, they mean a bunch of people whining on Facebook. One parent said her child was reprimanded for her shoes being shiny. Almost 70 letters of complaints from concerned parents were sent to the school. Gemma, whose daughter was suspended for going to the toilet without permission, despite having a medical pass, said she would fully support a reasonable behaviour policy. However, she said, unfortunately, the school has taken it beyond the realms of reasonable and it's detrimental to the kids' mental health. It's against basic human rights, she said, 
adding, she's got a medical toilet pass for a reason. I wonder about this claim, because if she was suspended for going out to the toilet without permission, despite having a medical pass, then surely she had permission. So maybe yeah. there's more to it than that. Than that the... is interesting, though, isn't it? So there may be more the, to it than that. Than there what may the parent... be more to it, or there may be a lack of communication between teachers and they might believe that they're making it up. So there could be both arguments there. So, so obviously, yeah, there needs to be a fuller investigation there. But there's almost certainly likely to be more to it than what the parents are telling us. Guidance from the Department of Education allows schools to adopt a policy where disruptive pupils can be placed in isolation from other pupils for a limited period. As with other disciplinary penalties, schools must act lawfully, reasonably and proportionately in all cases, the guidance says. In June, Charlie and Emma started a social media group to find out if other families had concerns with the school use of sanctions. So this school now has to put up with a social media group of parents whinging about it, basically. Within a matter of weeks, they had 140 parents in the group telling their own stories. God. It did shock us when you look at the number of children in the school. There's a large amount of people who are unhappy, Emma said. Do you think every post on that social media group on Facebook would be from genuine parents? Or do you think it would be from kids having a whinge? You don't know. There could be kids on it as well, couldn't there? And the thing is, the school aren't allowed to talk about individual cases. They're not allowed to take to social media. So these parents would just be whinging at each other in an echo chamber about how awful the school is. And the school has no comeback. It's just go out of the classroom for isolation. And that can't be the answer every time, this mum said. Seeing your children being broken down, you're sending them every day to somewhere where you know they're going to have the worst day, she added. And that's horrible as a mum. How horrible for someone to have high expectations of your child. In a statement, a school spokesperson said, we have high expectations for pupils' behaviour and always seek to reward pupils' good conduct with positive reinforcement far outweighing any sanctions. At this school, we work hard to create a respectful and purposeful culture in which students can learn and reach their full potential. This begins at the start of the school day when pupils are met by staff and often welfare support and replacement uniform if they have incorrect items. The school said suspensions were used proportionally to help keep the academy safe and as behaviour has improved, the number of these has fallen significantly. So the school's measures are working. Good on them. The spokesperson added feedback from parents was welcomed and said changes have been made in response, including stopping after-school detentions after families raised the issue of difficult transport links in the local community. That's probably why they issue suspensions more, because they can't use detentions. You know, suspensions are the best thing they've got. I'm biased because I work for the school system, but I do feel really sorry for them because the school can't comment on individual cases. And they can't speculate about mm. children. But these parents just sound like a bunch of whingers to me, Adam. What do you think? Yeah, well, we need to look at the whole circumstances of the teachers being trained properly at the school. That's another thing that we need to look at. And then, obviously, we need to find out whether these are parents in the WhatsApp group. And obviously, if it's a very large school, there's going to be some parents that are going to be unhappy. It's inevitable. This is why 
actually there is a case for organisations like Ofsted because we do need bodies who can go into schools and make an objective judgment about what's going on instead of biased, uninformed parents having a whinge. I think the school have been very generous and reasonable here, taking on the parents' complaints and addressing them. Good on them. I know that there's a lot of schools in Bradford that take on an even stronger disciplinary line than this. In fact, this kind of report could actually do the school some good. Have you ever heard of a school called Michaela, Adam? No, I haven't. In education circles, Michaela is a legend. It was dubbed Britain's strictest school and parents put in loads of complaints like this and whinged all about it on social media. And do you know what happened the next year? Record subscriptions. Loads and loads of parents wanted their kids to go there. They wanted their kids to go to this strict school because they know that as long as it's fair, strictness is actually, you know, what a lot of children need. Yeah. You know, school should be warm and kind and fair, but I don't see anything wrong with strictness and discipline. That's how you show young people that actually you give a damn about them. You want them to be better people. Yeah, and then obviously it inevitably leads to them having a better life in the long term. Yep. So I just wanted to wave the flag on this podcast for that school and say good on them. I think strong discipline is a good way to improve young people and and start improving the country. Yeah, and it also is a good way to stop shoplifting, as we will find out that shoplifting has surged to a record high of 1,000 offences per day, marking a 25% increase in a year. According to official figures, in the year leading up to June 2023, there were 365,164 recorded shoplifting offences, 24.6% rise from the previous 12 months, surpassing the substantial increase seen in the post-COVID period of 2021 to 2022. However, the detection rate for shoplifters hit a record low, with just 18.2% of offences being solved, down from 46% in 2016 when records began. The proportion of shoplifters charged also declined from 29.7% to 14% in the same period. To combat this record surge in shoplifting, the government and police chiefs plan to investigate every reasonable crime with a reasonable line of inquiry utilising various tools like CCTV footage, facial recognition, mobile phones and ring doorbell cameras. Retailers note that shoplifting has become so widespread that it adds 6p to each customer's transactions due to the annual cost of £1 billion stolen and the additional £700 million spent on security measures. The rate of increase in shoplifting is accelerating every quarter, with 1,200 cases recorded daily in the three months to June, the highest on record. Personal theft and vehicle theft also reached their highest levels, up 19.7% and 13.2% respectively. However, charging rates for these crimes continue to fall. Overall, the number of crimes recorded by police in England and Wales in the year to June 2023 increased 
So 6.7 million reflecting better recording, increased reporting by victims and the inclusion of new types of offences. In contrast, the Crime Survey for England and Wales suggests a 10% decrease in experiences of crime among people aged 16 and over, continuing a downward trend since the mid-1990s. What do you make of this, Roger? You said there about the police looking into shoplifting crimes reasonably, but it's going to be extremely hard for them to look into them reasonably when there's so many crimes happening. Yes. And one reason why there may be so many crimes happening is that perpetrators know their prisons are full, so they won't go to jail anyway, even if they do get caught. There's a very low chance of them getting caught. I think you said about 20% Mm. there. And even if you do get caught, then there's only a 20% chance from that that you'll get charged. Yeah. And if you get charged, let's say another 20% chance, you'll go to prison. Yeah, so it's practically so easy for them to commit these crimes. So and it boils down to, yeah, you'd have to be extremely unlucky to not essentially get away with it. Yes, and that's the problem. And even if they don't get away with it, the amount of money that they've probably saved by doing it is probably a lot more than the actual charge given. So I think a big push needs to go towards prevention the and the tackling of this. Otherwise it'll continue happening and more people say this, it'll get worse and worse and worse. Perhaps a strong Prime Minister would probably say something like, in this time of economic crisis, we really need to make sure that everyone is being a team player. So people who feed from businesses, we're doubling the sentences, you know, and we're putting extra police onto solving these crimes. But many people want to be a police officers. It's a very dangerous role. You risk getting killed. You're unable to have the resources to actually carry out these crimes. For example, police are not really allowed to do an awful lot in this country, are they? No, I think police should be trained better to be more responsible and then given more power. We need to have a police force back in this country, not a police service. (laughs) That's what it is. is. You're right, it's service. Because now that there's so much crime going on, one thing that they've got to do is give out the crime reference numbers for insurance purposes. So what they end up doing a lot more is rather than actually solving the crimes, they're just giving out the reference number, which is really quick and easy for them to do. We should have a police force that's like this school, you know, to be feared a little bit. Feared, but respected. They need to be warm, but strict. Yeah. And right now, they're just far too fussy and cuddly and relatable and trying to be nice. All they're doing is they're giving a reference number to say that a crime's been reported to them, and that's all they'll do. It's, It's a bit like... If you went to the doctors, said you were ill, all you'd get is, well, it used to be a sick note, now they're called fit notes, just to say that you're too unfit to work. If my home got burgled, I would want a police officer investigating it who not necessarily was nice, I'd want someone who was effective. You know, I'd want someone like Winston Wolfe in Pulp Fiction who would come in and try and get it sorted. I don't need a police officer who'd say, Oh, love, you've been burgled. That's so terrible. Sit down, let me make you a cup of tea. 
Oh, that's horrible. Oh, they broke your window. Oh, that's so horrible, isn't it? Would you like some counselling, dear? No, I want a police officer who's going to collect the evidence, look into it, find out what happened yeah. and put the scumbags um, in jail. Yeah, because at the moment, all they've got to do is they just tell you where you can get help, like the counselling, like you said, and they'll give a reference number so that you can claim from your insurance but that means your insurance goes up etc so really they're not doing the jobs correctly i guess they're, they're doing that but they're only doing half the job what they need to be doing is they need to be investigating the crime as well so there you go rishi and kia instead of a police service have a police force yeah let's have it yeah a farce because what they could do is they could have, like, a service where they'll give you advice, which you don't need an actual police officer to do that job, and then have a force that actually comes and investigates the stuff. Exactly. Now that we have solved crime, Adam, mm-hmm. and policing, I want us to finish with something a little more cheerful and or not beat. And as we're nearing the end of October, I'm going to bring up the C word, Christmas. Because for the last... Two Christmases on this podcast, we have always talked turkey. That's right, turkey shortages, because we noticed a pattern in those two years that they've always said there's going to be turkey shortages, no one's going to be able to have turkey for Christmas. And I can't remember the amount of cart short articles that we had, but we did have a fair few about turkey. But those cut short articles do seem to have stopped now, don't they? Well, in all of my 39 years, I've always been able to have a bit of gobble-gobble for Christmas. And this year, actually, it looks like we're going to be fine. Turkey farmers are hopeful for a better Christmas season due to a significant decrease in bird flu cases, with only 16 new outbreaks since August compared to nearly 90 in the previous year. Last year's bird flu crisis resulted in culls and turkey shortages, did it? I didn't see any shortages. Scientists have found signs of immunity in wild birds and determined that the virus has limited air travel capabilities, reducing the risk of farm-to-farm transmission. Some farmers are advocating for a vaccine for enhanced protection. Despite potential changes with winter weather, there is optimism for a stable Christmas turkey supply this year and the British Poultry Council foresee no shortage. The global bird flu outbreak does continue to be a concern, but it looks like we might be able to get turkey birds for Christmas at a reasonable price this year, Adam. That's good, but I don't think we've really had shortages anywhere. There's always a lot of food surplus that gets wasted on our shelves each year. So really, there may have just been a bit less wasted than usual. I agree with you, Adam. I think the vast, vast, vast majority of these so-called shortages we've had have always just been an excuse that retailers have used to increase their prices quicker this is the problem we're overproducing in this country and people are actually making more food than what we need and half of the food that farmers produce probably gets wasted somewhere or another anywhere at least we're not going to get exploited in this way for our meat this christmas that is a very 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 small victory so let's take it yeah, but trouble is, it also means that more turkeys will be killed that don't need to be killed. <laughs> and if I felt strongly about that <laughs> enough to have convictions, then I suppose I'd become a vegetarian or vegan. But when turkeys are killed, for them to be thrown away, be chopped by too much, for example, 
That is completely unacceptable, isn't it? It is. I absolutely disagree with the needless killing of animals, and that's why I pledge to do my bit. If someone presents me with a plate full of turkey, I promise I will eat as much of it as I possibly can. Yeah, I think you've got the right attitude there, and I would probably do the same. So look out, Toby Carvery. Adam and Roger are coming to you near Christmas time. To eat as much of the stuff that they've got to avoid wastage. Gobble, gobble. If you have any news or opinions or anything that you'd like to share with us to go on this podcast and become famous like me and Adam are, oh, it's fabulous, then email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com and join in. Definitely. But for now, please be sure to share with your family and friends. And we will be back next week with another podcast. This week I'm going to be sharing lots of fun time with my family and friends. I'm going to go see my mum. I'm taking my oldest daughter to Alton Towers. And I'm also driving the family up to Blackpool Illuminations later in the week as well. So that's going to be awesome. Fair enough. Well, I've got a job interview and I'm also seeing my mum once this week. I believe we're going to the pizza in Halifax on Wednesday. So that should be good. Let's hope it's a great half-term week for everyone. Take care. Take care. Bye.